The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Stupid internet stuff. Huh. Click here for free. Oh, I got a virus. Smart internet stuff. He has murdered his own people. He tortures people. He rapes women. And he has threatened us with nuclear weapons repeatedly. He has broken international law and sanctions against him. They got along great. They hit it off. What do you mean got along well? I don't want you to get along well. What are your friends now? Your besties? He's a dictator. The Morning Blaze with Doc Thompson. Weekdays, 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This, another week of an episode of Reformation, an episode in which your friendly neighborhood American Muslim patriot takes on the issues of the day, the issues that few will want to address, often many ignore. And we try to tease through and cut through the BS, cut through the uh, nonsense, and get to the heart of the matter so that we can together find the facts, know what we know, know what we don't know, and also know where we need to go regarding strategy, regarding reform. And almost a quarter of the world's population are Muslim. And yet, how many of them are led by democratic-believing Jeffersonian Muslims? Uh, Not too many. Hopefully this program will begin to pave the way for other Muslims to start their own ideas, to begin their own process of critical thinking, and to change the world. A lot to talk about as always. I do want to spend some time this week uh, talking again to you about Syria. A lot has happened, but I think it is worth, especially on this program, not only with my personal connection there, but with the fact that when it comes to reform, there's a clinic. There is a virtual clinic, not only militarily, but really strategically, um, ideologically, with all of the forces at play, the way we address the Syrian situation will help us address even things here at home when it comes to the American Muslim population. Let's start a little lighter and talk about social media. Now, any of you who follow the Arab Awakening back in 2011 know that social media played a huge role in paving the way for social media for revolutions. Egypt was called the Facebook Revolution. Libya was called the, I'm sorry, Tunisia was called the Twitter revolution. And Syria was called the YouTube revolution. The Egyptians started to exchange um, events and and communications about when they were going to meet in Tahrir Square uh, on Facebook. And the government soon lost control of the ability to organize society and the revolutions and shifted and changed governments that nobody thought could happen. In Tunisia, one guy self-immolates himself in deciding not to pay taxes to what he felt appropriately so was a corrupt kleptocratic king. And ultimately, through Twitter, chats, back and forth, you had mass revolution, people in the streets, and the king of Tunisia departed. In Syria, the people walked through the streets protesting the killing of innocent children, the torture of families in Dara. And then from small cities in the urban areas and rural, more like rural areas in Syria, they started to show videos and post them on YouTube of the changes, of the attacks, of the rifle shots of 50 to 100 dead in the streets a day, thinking the world would see this and reach out to stop the massacre and allow a peaceful revolution to proceed. But now we know, seven years later, little has changed. If anything, the videos have gotten less and less believed. And part of what we're going to talk about later in the program today is how do we parse through the truth versus the untruth versus the truthers, the Assad truthers, if you will. But why am I bringing up social media? Well, there have been a couple fatwas. What's a fatwa? A fatwa is a religious ruling, an Islamic juristic religious ruling on passing what is felt to be an opinion of a Sharia expert. And just a few days ago, Egypt's top cleric 
Shauki Ibrahim Abdul Karim Alam, the Grand Mufti of Egypt, the head of Al-Azhar University, the what is considered in the Sunni world, the Sunni stream of Islam, which is 90% of Muslims, with the seat of Sunni Islam being in Cairo at Al-Azhar University, and also mostly in Saudi Arabia and Mecca with the Saudi royal family and their Wahhabi Salafi jihadists who run the who run that judiciary and that basically the intellectual part of the legal state of the Islamic state of Saudi Arabia past fatwas and rulings of how that government should run now what did this Egyptian cleric say he said Mufti Alam said it is important that we issue a fatwa a ruling against the buying of Facebook I'm sorry Facebook lies Facebook likes. So basically, he's talking about can you inflate, falsify the number of likes, the number of comments that you have by using bots, if you will. He was in a meeting in Rotterdam on April 12th, 2015. The cleric had recently weighed in on that. That was a while back, but now he, this week in April 2018, he criticized the practice of purchasing engagement on Facebook as an act of fraud that goes against Islamic principles. Far from going after the general use of the social media, in fact, he posted this on Facebook and suggested that permitted ways to do business on Facebook exist, but they must be honest and without purchase and without mercenary. So he was writing on the page of Dara Lifta, the religious institution tasked with interpreting scripture for Sunni Muslims in Egypt. Alam warned that what distinguishes improper behavior online is when a user engages in deceptive social media posts. He said boosting content on your account to get a wider audience was permissible as long as the post reflects reality. He said, what is not acceptable is passing off mercenary interactions such as bots, likes, or comments from fake accounts as genuine engagement because this seeks to use dishonesty for the building up of followers. So if likes are fake, they do not resemble real individuals, then that would be considered impermissible given that it's a form of fraud. Wow. The Egyptian religious leadership has all of a sudden gotten itself some granular morality. Now, obviously, that might sound a little harsh, but this is coming from a regime that now has been torturing and imprisoning journalists that, uh, whose last election just a few weeks ago was a farce in which the opponent against El-Sisi was basically a stooge who had made it appear that there was really an opponent. People really have lost their ability to criticize the government, and most of the things that people sacrificed to go to the streets for in the Facebook revolution ended up vanishing. So this mufti that wants to keep himself relevant passes this fetua. Now, he is not to be superseded by the Khomeinists, the Shia Islamists. Surely they must have an opinion on fetwa on what Muslims should do on social media. And sure enough, what did the Khamenei say this week? He passed a fatwa about invading user privacy, that it is religiously forbidden, according to Ayatollah Khamenei, religiously forbidden for user privacy to be invaded. He said on internet messengers and social networks, Khamenei announced that an invasion of privacy is absolutely forbidden according to Islamic jurisprudence. He was meeting with government managers and officials on April 9, 2018, and Ayatollah Khamenei announced a fatwa regarding the privacy of users on social networks, internet messengers, and other platforms. The officials must safeguard the people's and the country's security and privacy, invading the privacy and security of the people is religiously forbidden and against the Islamic law and must not be undertaken. Fascinating. So what all of a sudden, the, the ethics coming out of the Islamic scholars and the rulers, what is going on? Well, I think there's a few things that are obvious here. One is they want to be relevant to the times and 
two. I think they want to. There's an old saying in the Middle East that it's better to eat somebody for breakfast before they eat you for lunch. So I think they're trying to get ahead of the game. Now they realize they're way behind. Uh, they they missed the revolutions, the Green Revolution in Iran, used a number of technolo- technologies. So uh, they're trying to keep themselves in control by passing rulings that appear to be moral. They want to begin to set rules. I think they want to buy into the PR extravaganza that happened with Zuckerberg's testimony on the Hill last week. I think his testimony obviously got a lot of attention. So Khamenei, sure enough, wants to weigh in about the importance of privacy, the importance of personal information. Again, all propaganda, a PR stunt. And then there's the aspects of a, of a real moral issue that exists there, the moral issue of honesty, of integrity. And unfortunately, if the, if the vehicle for this discussion was a conversation at home, it certainly makes sense to tell your kids that every platform you use, from the physical friendships you have with your friends close to you, to your family, to your parents, to your brothers and siblings, brothers and sisters and siblings, and to your presence on social media. If you're talking to somebody on the phone, just because you're using a medium that's far apart from them does not then give you a license to lie and be dishonest. So when the community then has a standard that seems to pay attention to popularity based on likes and comments and activity, that cannot be fabricated. And as in everything in life, it needs to be real. So there is a real moral issue there. Now, I would tell you that listening to these religious theocrats, these oppressive rulers of religious institutions which are torturous and have no respect for human rights, lecture their people about not having mercenary likes and comments and not invading privacy is a joke for a government that feels that its people are slaves, that basically treats women as fifth-class citizens that ultimately are prisons. In fact, a few days later, Iran then banned Telegram, the app similar to WhatsApp that is a communications platform for the organization of communities, and they found it to be a major, major threat. In fact, the company that makes Telegram had provided some bypass mechanisms through the firewall that the Iranian government had wanted to stop. So, the same company that talks about the micro granular aspects of honesty on the web and privacy control shut down Telegram. They would say in the name of social order, in the name of counterterrorism, <laughs> but the reality was it was in the name of state-sponsored terror and the utter repression of human rights in Iran. And that same government, similar government in Egypt, may talk about not having mercenary Facebook likes and comments, but at the end of the day, they are a corrupt regime with a military deep state that controls one-third of the one-third of the economy in Egypt, which has no influence by the people and will continue to maintain control until there's a massive revolution. And I think Egypt will not change until it has a revolution like Syria's. So, little fetwas online, I think, as an American that are hypocritical and, in fact, hilarious. They're not too hilarious to the people that are victims of these theocrats. But I think there's some lessons there for reform, for the reality of what we need to do in the West as we approach reform. There are some values there, but we need to hold each other accountable to those values. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more. And this time, get into the topic of Syria. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. The Glenn Beck Program. We have to expand the tribe. So it's not enough to give you the argument that you understand. We have to give you the argument that people who are not on our side or not in the bandwagon... We have to give you that argument because that's that's how we expand and that's how we grow. 
And the first part of that is listening to each other first. The Glenn Beck Program. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. The place where we bridge the fault lines. The fault lines between the West, the land of liberty, democracy, critical thinking, and the Islamists. The land of Islam. The land that I believe still needs to go through reformation. The land still run by oppressive military dictatorships that have ossified thinking, that have prevented critical thinking, modernity. And hopefully this podcast can become one of the seeds, one of the planted seeds to begin change, to begin the deossification, the liberalization, the modernization of thought across the Middle East, where countries like Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Iran, that really produce nothing when it comes to free thought, free, uh, well, a lot of free thought probably internally in the prisons and in the homes, but no products of free markets, no products of, of, of robust economies other than oil, which comes from underground but not from between their ears. We're talking about social media, and I'm going to get to Syria in a second, but I'm going to add one thing to this conversation about the fatwa from Egypt, the the Imam Sheikh, the Grand Mufti Alam, who said, you must not be a mercenary and buy Facebook likes and comments that it must be real, must be genuine. That's a good point. Why would he do that? One last comment I wanted to make. We were talking about reasons that I think that the, the ossified Imams and clerics want to continue to make themselves relevant. But one of the reasons I think is there's probably a real problem of complete corruption of social media. There probably is. I mean, we've seen the Washington Post talk about all these politicians that have millions of followers. Even uh, President Trump, uh, some of the media looked at exactly how many of his 50 million followers are actually genuine, and they found some... Uh, purchased rates of uh, uh, somewhere of 10 to 20 percent i don't know so is it can we now no longer believe the number of followers that people have because political machines that have money will then purchase some because nobody will take anybody seriously unless they have few tens of thousands of followers that appear that they have some kind of following and platform that's a problem it's part of the corruption and there should be a way to expose that hopefully Twitter and Facebook will begin to demand that every Twitter account have a human being associated with it, uh, somehow have a uh, recognition process uh, in which it can no longer simply be automated by bizarre letters and numbers that create accounts that then are able to appear to be human when they're not. And... The reality is, though, this also does show a corruption. <laughs> the closest I've come to this corruption is this imam of peace, imam Muhammad Tawhidi, a so-called reformer who is a student of Shirazi. Shirazi is a, a heterodox. I'll let you look him up. You can see some of the things I've written on Tawhidi, but I've been trying to explain to people how obvious it is that Tawhidi is corrupt. He's dishonest. And what has made it very obvious to me that he's dishonest is simply following his social media, simply following his footprint of how he behaves on social media. Every week he's got scores of tweets that he ends up deleting. And we also notice that initially when he put his account on hiatus back in, I think it was May 2017, he went from five, six thousand followers to forty, fifty thousand followers within twenty four, forty eight hours. And you could see those increments happen within hours. And we have screenshots of those increases. And you can look at Twitter software to prove that this is not something anybody can lie about or, or, or fabricate. So at the end of the day I think you'll find that even here in the West, when people listen to flamethrowers like Muhammad Tawhidi who will say things about Islam that might make people feel good, that 
are trying to say that the entire recipe is bad when in fact Tawhidi is clearly dishonest. I think he epitomizes sort of this taqiyya, which is dissimulation where you say one thing but you mean another or you say whatever necessary and then later retract or change. And I think it is a problem. We see across the Middle East these fetwas about buying or inflating who you really are are probably coming out because there's a big corruption and as a major problem. And as my grandfather used to tell me, is that the modernization of Islam cannot happen before Muslims themselves reform. So often we talk about reform and that it's simply liturgical, that it's somehow exegetical. And before we get to the details of the anatomy of reform, we need a soul, as my book, A Battle for the Soul of Islam, a soul that is honest, that is humble, that is minuscule to non-existent in front of the feet of God. And ultimately this is the issue, is that we have been corrupted as a people, as a, a Muslim population. You look at the, the materialism of the rulers, the, the tribalism of the society, all of these aspects I think are loss of our way, loss of righteousness of being human. It's not simply related to something specific to Islam, but if you look at Islamic history, Islam itself came to correct the paganism and the barbarism that existed in the Arabian Nejd, if you will, at the time before Islam was there. Judaism and Christianity had not come to the, those pagans. And Islam, we believe, was revealed to the people of Quraysh that had been severely corrupt. So... I think we have to get back to our values, back to the core values of what it means to be human, what it means to be honest. It's not just about buying Facebook likes. It's about being a man or a woman of your word. It's about not inflating our presence, not inflating who we are, not creating organizations and movements just to be the leaders, but rather... To be about a cause, to be about an idea, to be about a legacy that lives beyond what we do in this life, that somehow we must be the leaders. And this is the problem I think you'll find in a lot of the failures of Arab organizations, especially that I know, but many Muslim organizations also globally, is that the tribalism, the, the, the battle to lead those organizations rather than leave a legacy of ideology creates look at erdogan erdogan probably started as a believing islamist in the akp then their party struggled as a minority party they win an election in 2000 or so he comes to power and then realizes that not only is the ideology of islamism corrupt itself but he needs to find a way for him to stay in power which is pathognomonic of islamists theocrats use their politics to stay in power use their religious interpretations to stay in power so ultimately now the islamism of the akp is not just about islamism like the brotherhood but it is about erdogan it's become the cult of erdogan and i think he is a prime example of the problem of these clerics of these theocrats of these politicians in the muslim world pre-reformation so as we get towards reform i would tell you one of the early steps and this is why i have fought against including folks like tohidi who is inherently corrupt and dishonest as you can tell on his social media that ultimately the most important element of including folks within the leadership of reform movements is their honesty that they admit that they're wrong, that they admit that they don't know, that we may criticize one another. And that's nothing to do with our personal politics, conservative, liberal, socialist, free market, whatever it might be. It has to do with our anti-Islamist beliefs, our belief in universal human rights, and our personal integrity of how consistent we are in admitting to what we said yesterday, a week ago, a year ago, or 10 years ago. So... If somebody was previously radical, so be it. 
but they can't deny it or, 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 or try to change what they said or delete things they said because they don't want to own up to it. Human beings will forgive and understand folks who apologize and admit error, but folks who cover it up and pretend it didn't happen is nobody I would ever want to work with in reform, let alone in humanity. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. We'll be right back. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. We have to follow up this week on what happened in Syria. Uh, 106 missiles or so were launched by Britain, the U.S., and France upon three sites, three sites in Syria, around Damascus and near Homs, that ultimately were felt to be central cores of the remaining chemical weapons capability of the Assad regime. And let's not even get into how it is that we all of a sudden overnight knew where those were. We must have known where they were for a while. President Obama, in his departure interview with Jeffrey Goldberg, said that that was one of his prime successes in Syria as he lied through his teeth and said that ultimately chemical weapons were gone. Obviously, the United States government knew where they were. We just launched missiles against them in 2017 in April and now again in April 2018. And yet President Obama had, never mind, the New York Times applauded him for the success of having gotten rid of chemical weapons in Syria, that that was somehow a major achievement, a deceptive, false major achievement. But let's set that aside. So we launched these missiles. Many of us were cheering for the first time. There were missiles headed towards the Assad regime, towards the genocidal Stalins of Syria, who have been responsible for upwards of 600,000 dead, 10 million displaced. Now, some will say, yes, ISIS was involved in a lot of that. How do we know? Most do the studies, do the research. Most studies have shown that at least 80, if not 85% of the deaths in the Syrian revolution have come from the regime attacks, regime mortars, barrel bombs, helicopter gunships, door-to-door raids by the Shabiha and the, the, the corrupt, horrific killing machines that are the Ba'athist Syrian military. Now, strategically, we were cheering on these missiles, hoping that it would ultimately be signs of larger strikes to come continued pummeling of the Assad regime to ground their air force. No, as much as I prayed that the presidential palace of Bashar Assad and uh, his fellow generals and others of the Assad family would be wiped off this earth, I knew that was not going to happen as regime change was nothing that President Trump campaigned on. If anything, he obviously campaigned against it. But I do think a crippling blow to the Air Force, to the runways, to the air capabilities in which most of the casualties in the Syrian war have been inflicted upon the the rebels. But that didn't happen. We thought that the initial missiles might lead to more, but it was a very, very limited operation. And I would agree with folks like General Keene, who on Fox said, you know, another slap on the hand. Another slap on the wrist is simply going to empower him more. And sure enough, two or three days after the bombing, the areas around Duma, around Damascus, around Aleppo, around Homs, saw some of the heaviest fighting, heaviest bombing and pummeling by the regime that they've seen in months, if not years. Because they are exerting what they feel is a process towards a final solution against the Sunnis, an ethic cleansing, if you will, against the Sunnis. So I think that these slaps on the wrist are actually causing more harm humanitarian-wise and strategically. 
because America's interests are with those who share our values. Certainly, the Assad regime, Hezbollah, Russia, Iran, that axis does not share our values. Certainly, the radical jihadists do not share our values. But there is a third side, the majority of the Syrian population that is against the regime and against the Islamists, the Salafi jihadists that have been fueled by Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and Turkey. Now, Turkey's our ally, so there's this perception that somehow we are working with them with the same folks on the ground. Some of that is unfortunately true. But I think the reality is that we need to be navigating folks on the ground that are separate from not only the regime, but obviously separate from the Salafi jihadists that are sympathetic to the Turks, but rather, obviously, the Kurds who we abandoned. We should not abandon them. We should re-fortify and re-strengthen them. And also the more secular liberals who are non-jihadists and the more secular rebels, if you will, that are non-jihadists. But strategically, what did this do? It appears nothing. I was just ashamed. I, I was uh, speechless after I, I cheered on Nikki Haley for her strong, her exemplary speech at the UN. And she announced new sanctions would be coming, only to later hear a few days later that President Trump actually personally nixed them. And the White House then stepped back saying that the further sanctions were never approved and they were still on the consideration. So does that make sense? We let the Russians know because of an MOU, which, by the way, I get it in areas of theater of war. We don't want to be running into other major powers if we don't have to. But, God, you know, we talk about collusion. Our militaries are colluding. And by the way, that collusion started after September 2015 when Russia started running operations and bombing operations against innocent Syrian civilians over Aleppo and over Syria. So this is pre-President Trump. Our militaries have been colluding. I get it. But as again, General Keene said, the head of the Institute for the Study of War, when did the United States start getting afraid of Russia? And people say, oh my God, you want to get us into a war? We should not be fighting them. Listen, the Russian economy is teetering on collapse. They are deathly afraid and intimidated. And a lot of their bluster is simply bluster. And granted, we should be concerned obviously about getting into military conflict with the Russians, as we should with North Korea or Iran or any major power. But we can't allow it to make us sheep, to make us intimidated by doing the right thing. So strategically, I would tell you that the world now Tyrants today and tomorrow will blink when they use chemical weapons. So there was a micro-benefit that I talked about on national television and and when I was able to that hats off to President Trump for continuing to punish or at least demonstrate for those who might not look at the follow-through, <laughs> the, the punishment that when you act and use chemical weapons that, yes, we're not going to get involved into wars and battles on the ground, but we will punish you if you use weapons of mass destruction. Now, the reality is, is anyone that does their homework can see that what is that punishment? Actually, the Syrian regime went on to inflict far worse crimes against humanity the days after our bombing, as they did the days before and the months before that and the months before that as they bombed hospitals, schools, open neighborhoods, and other non-conflict areas that they chose to do it because of exerting a final punishment. So, strategically, I think from the WMD area, we made a point. From the, the, the war on the ground in Syria, I think we achieved nothing. If anything, we empowered the continued colonization of Syria by Iran and Russia even further. They know that we're leaving, that we just had a little pinprick, and ultimately, strategically, Russia will continue to aid their man, Assad, and move forward with their plans to hegemonize the Shia crescent from Iran to Iraq to Syria and Lebanon. So um, I, I think strategically, without a long-term strategy in the area to follow through 
with the attacks that we did, I don't see anything happen. Now, you saw a lot of the libertarian congressmen talking about the need for congressional approval and the need to revise the War Powers Act, etc., in which the president was given 60 days to act as he felt necessary, and they would even say there was nothing urgent about this, which I would disagree. We already gave them too much telegraphing with tweets ahead of time and other things that basically told them we were coming. God knows how much we actually got before the regime moved around its remaining depots. But does Congress need approval if we're going to wage war against another country? Absolutely. Why can't we propose that and have a conversation about it? But obviously this administration is not going to be in the business of deposing Assad the way I believe the solution should be, which is the Bosnian, Herzegovina, Kosovo, Serbian solution, which was a UN protection force that was brought in, not just American, but all of NATO, that then had no-fly zones and ultimately the defeat and decimation of the Milosevic Serbian army and military, and then he was brought to trial for war crimes. That can happen for the Assad regime, and I think it would be the best strategy for the West and for the Syrian people and for protection against WMDs. I think the Syrian government lost its legitimacy of rule years ago, now over seven years into the war, and with heinous, heinous records that are well-documented of genocidal war crimes committed by his military. That's the strategy. Now, people say we should leave it alone. It's not our war to fight, etc. When we come back, I want to talk to you about the, the, the fake, the, the unbelievably, horrifically false information that's going across the Internet about who did this chemical attack, what the troops are doing, was it a false flag, all this other nonsense. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. Pat Gray. Are you ready for a gross factoid? Apparently the average cutting board has 200 times more fecal bacteria than a toilet seat. Who printed this? How is that possible? This is gross. How could it have yeah. fecal material on well, because it? Some of the, Are because people pooping on your cutting board? No, no, no. no, no but no. they're pooping in the vegetables you're cutting on it. You know, that's about as much fecal matter talk on this show as I probably want in a lifetime. Pat Gray. Weekdays from noon to 3 Eastern, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to our last segment this week of Reform This. We're talking Syria, trying to... uh, Put a bow around those 106 missiles that were sent into Syria and talk about what's the next step. And I think the best thing to end on this week is let's can we have a conversation for just the last few minutes here about misinformation, disinformation, propaganda, and agents of propaganda on the web, on the social media, on Twitter, Facebook. How do you tell the difference? How do you know what the truth is? I can't tell you how many times I get that question every day on social media. Zudi, please tell me. You think you're right. You know who the rebels are. This is what this source says, and I'll say which source, and they don't even know. But if they do find a source, I tell them, well, look at the funding stream. Look at who this person is. And the BBC did a good report this week, and I'll get to it in a second. But first, let's look at the facts on the ground. Was the chemical, I can't believe, even believe we're still talking about this, but if you look at the spike of information, it is actually now more, even after our rockets were launched, you have folks writing that this was somehow a a, a American defense industry uh, a launch because of the stocks going way up after it happened. It was some kind of false flag done by the United States. Crazy, crazy, psychotic information like that. All of a sudden, the leaders of the free world have become the promulgators and the users of chemical biological weapons in order to legitimize use of 102 missiles by a president that ran on non-intervention and actually wanted to prop up dictators during his campaign. Now, does that make sense? 
doesn't make any sense to me, but it's the stuff in which truthers, it's the Essidus truthers, if you will, that have been coming out from major networks, on uh, anchors, on evening newscasts uh, that are spreading some of this stuff. It is on social media. It is all over the place. And again, after 9-11, you heard the truthers. Now, it wasn't as prevalent because... We saw the attacks coming. It happened here. This is attacks happening 6,000 miles away that some people say, well, what do we care? doesn't matter. It's not our war. That's a different discussion. We can talk about intervention or non-intervention into the use of weapons of mass destruction. That's a legitimate argument to have or not have. But to say that facts on the ground are just false or faked or done by us to legitimize, to falsely legitimize as a false flag operation, this this conspiracy theory nonsense is just it's it's not only crazy stuff. It is actually erodes who we are as a population, where legitimate journalism has died. Legitimate. Every day I see on my social media feed with the tens of thousands of followers I have on different platforms, hundreds telling me that I am pushing a neocon, and they say it in a pejorative, a neocon narrative, which falsifies the truth of the false flag operation that was either an American or a French or a white helmet operation in which they gas their own people. Now, forget that they can't deliver it. Forget that the ordinance in which it has to explode and land and the building in which the gas happened didn't destroy the building. It actually was delivered in a certain way that chemical weapons have to be delivered. All these other facts that were actually laid out in the speeches and the briefs delivered by the French. Lee Stranahan, a guy with hundreds of thousands of followers on Twitter, got into a debate with me in which he was pushing a, a news report from Mint Press News. Mint Press News is out of St. Cloud, Minnesota. It is run by a, a, a father and a daughter. A daughter runs that, and she was proven by BuzzFeed to have former reporters who left her and said that it was an Esset operation, an Essetist operation that only would publish reports that negated or nullified any evidence of chemical weapons use. That was back in 2013 that BuzzFeed reported that. And if you look at the money stream into Mint Press News, it is a foreign agency operation. They should have been forced to register as FARA. And the family that runs it lived in Tehran for years. The father came from Tehran. They're, they're, they're anti-Semites who are anti-American, and their, their information pushed is pure propaganda. Now, when I pushed Lee Stranahan about it on social media, he says, you don't want to deal with the facts. You're just attacking the source. And then I give him the French dossier, and he says, well, what specifically, you don't counter the facts. You're just giving me a speech. Seriously, this is the nonsense of, of what has become conversation by American thought leaders about whether we can prove in 2018 whether a chemical attack happened. And this is post-attack, after the case was laid out, after the Russians stopped any diplomatic process, as Nikki Haley laid out in the UN, from moving forward because they did not want investigations to happen while they cleaned up the area. And it was proven that the Russians were already destroying the area and the evidence that chemical weapons attacked happened and where it came from. And then Ambassador Ford, our previous Obama ambassador to Syria, laid it out in a brief tweet, the case that Prime Minister May and President Macron in France laid out. He said, negotiations with Jaysh al-Islam, it's a radical Islamic group that was in Douma, broke down Friday, April 6, over whether it could stay as local police. Those negotiations break down. The Syrian government responds with a chemical weapon attack on Saturday, April 7. Jaysh al-Islam then agreed to depart and on April 8, and they start after that. So the Syrian government forces were trying to avoid hard final assault in which would needed hundreds if not thousands of troops that they did not have. So they succeeded by using a chemical weapons attack, perhaps authorized by an Iranian general that we saw some video of. Who knows? Bottom line is that it happened and it was done by the regime. 
and then they lay out in the case the number of cases of of airways arrest of frothing all the symptoms that happened at the same time it was a coordinated pictures that were present on social media etc that could not have been orchestrated by a simple campaign there were too many different sources that it came from and legitimate pictures with with geo positioning in that area and the case is even much more detailed that was laid out to the UN, laid out by France, United States, and the UK. I can't believe what's happened to journalism today. Because the bandwidth is so able to be soaked up by false information, the truth is being drowned out. We used to criticize legitimately the bias, the liberal bias, as Bernie Goldberg called it, of the media. And he used to work for CBS and now has become a a conservative voice on many conservative media. But at the end of the day, you look now and you see how foreign regimes are able to manipulate billions of dollars of PR on social media so that they can shift public opinion globally and even fool with our own population where Russia is playing both sides against one another with the far-right extremists and the far-left socialists, Antifa, and others. So they drove the Islamophobia narrative. They helped the Islamists and others in the United States because that divided this country and eroded at our core, core democratic liberal values. And last, I have to spend a couple minutes talking to you about the most potent and I think traitorous agents of misinformation and disinformation which are members of congress people running for office that have been proven to be in the back pocket of bashar al-assad's regime and the russians who am i talking about i'm talking about dennis kucinich who's made many trips to syria who is running for governor of ohio and you will find even a couple days ago talking about not only how much he detested the missile attacks but the same memes that I was just telling you about the lack of proof of the chemical weapons having been done, etc. The same complete nonsense, childish nonsense, in which any sixth grader can go and find information that proves that the misinformation pushed by Russian television, pushed by Press TV of Iran, or Mint Press out of Minnesota, their, their propaganda arms are just not convincing. But the Dennis Kucinich, they are. So Free Beacon posts a report this week of a $20,000 fundraiser in Europe, in London, in which Kucinich basically endorses the Assad regime in that speech, and it looked like he did so in a trip funded by this organization, a European security organization, which has ties to the regime and its supporters. And it's not just that example that the Free Beacon notes. Kucinich has a long trail of benefits traveling to Syria with folks out of Cleveland, in which he was mayor, uh, with uh, Hawam, with Tony George, a businessman in Cleveland who may not have traveled with him, but was certainly part of the Syrian community that helped advocate for the Assad regime. And I'll remind all of you that before the revolution, one out of nine Syrians in the United States were believed to be part of the Mukhabarat, which are the information services, the intelligence services for the regime. And you wonder why it took so long for the revolution to get steam. Because brothers were reporting on brothers. Folks wanted to go visit their family, so they wouldn't even say anything here because they would they didn't even want to be because they would be outed and their family would be tortured in Damascus for what their cousins or their brothers or their siblings said in the United States, in Chicago or, or Cleveland or in Florida. So the intelligence network is huge. And now we're finding out how deep it goes. Tulsi Gabbard, congresswoman from Ohio, is top on the list of agents of the Assad regime. And if you look at her trip in which she became part of the travel operations for the Assad regime and has continued to be a fail, a, a no-fail advocate for his genocidal operations, saying that he's the only bulwark for the Christian community in Syria and that he's doing legitimate counter-terror operations. I cannot believe a veteran of our army who's a member of Congress who was sworn to uphold our U.S. Constitution 
would be able to look herself straight in the eye and look at her family and look at our country and American citizens and tell them that Assad is somebody that should be left in power. Yes, the ISIS folks are more evil, if not two sides of the same coin as you and I talked about last time. But that does not make his advocacy necessary. That does not make his presence and his regime necessary. At no time in history has people of goodwill defended evil in order to prevent more evil after it. That makes no sense. And it's not American, and it is traitorous. Dennis Kucinich, Tulsi Gabbard. Look at Dick Black, Richard Black, a state senator out of Virginia who I've uh, debated. And after I debated him at a meeting of the Republican Party in Virginia, they nixed the video and wouldn't post it. I'd ask you to have it posted and uh, protest them to release it. It was from two years ago. But this is in Prince Williams County. And I have no idea how his constituents, this guy again posts on Facebook, he starts posting how the White Helmets are jihadi groups, when in fact, do some research into what the White Helmets do. For the, for the vast majority of them, they are running into, billion, into buildings to get chemical weapons victims out, to get innocent, innocent children and families out, in which nobody else, in which the regime and doctors are being pummeled by bombs, and all that's left are these White Helmets. Look at the documentary about them and, and many other stories done about their work. It is an inhumanity that not only we see a genocide happening before our faces, before our eyes in Syria, but it is an inhumanity that even the truth about them is being twisted by our own elected leaders and folks that know better. Tulsi Gabbard, you know better. Dick Black, you know better. Dennis Kucinich, you know better. And all the rest of the agents and those who continue to twist information know better. ISIS is a massive problem. You can't get rid of ISIS without getting rid of Assad. Syria is going to be a, a hell on earth for the next number of years, but there is no light at the end of that abyss that includes either ISIS or Assad. We decimated ISIS. With Assad there, you're going to see recurrence of that. I'll remind you of one thing before I leave. When our troops were being slaughtered by Al-Qaeda repeatedly through suicide bombing, where was the number one country source of Al-Qaeda from 2004 to 2010 while we were in Iraq? Syria. So if Assad did not have an entente with Al-Qaeda, with ISIS, with Sunni jihadists, how is it that they were constantly allowed through the border in this oppressive regime as he let them out of prisons, as he would allow them to move freely. No different than Russia allows the Chechnya and Sunnis to move freely into Syria and wreak havoc. So look at the information out there. Look at the free press and stop swallowing Russian television press press TV of Iranian television, Menar TV of Hezbollah, which is not even 0.1% true and is all full of anti-Semitism, anti-Westernism, and just fake information. And start looking at, yes, much of the information in the West might be biased, might not be correct information, but at least it's based in rational thought. At least there are ways in which to look at the information that can be critical or not. God bless you. Thanks for listening again. This is Zudi Jastro on Reform This. We'll see you next week. Breaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.